Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 20 and 35 to the end of the chapter. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? How foolish. 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from stars in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. <clears throat> so I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to us through it. We ask that your Holy Spirit will be powerfully present, speaking to all of our hearts. We pray that he will anoint the spoken words that they might only be from you. In the name of Jesus, amen. In Alice Through the Looking Glass, there's a scene where Alice and the White Queen are talking. The White Queen wants Alice to believe that her age is 101, five months and a day. This makes Alice laugh. She can't believe that. One can't believe in possible things, she says. I dare say you haven't had much practice, says the Queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. When we come to this chapter in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, perhaps we feel as if we're being asked to believe impossible things. We're being taken out of the realm of things we can see and feel and touch and away from some of the very practical stuff that Paul's talked about earlier in the letter. And we're asked to concentrate on what lies beyond this present world, what waits for us after we die. We've seen that the Corinthians needed correcting on quite a lot of things and Paul wrote to put them right. Here is another mistake they made. They didn't believe that Christians would rise again from the dead. It might be that they'd been listening to the Sadducees. That's a group of Jewish teachers who thought that the life to come was just wishful thinking. Or they might have been influenced by Greek philosophy, the kinds of things they would have heard talked about around them, which said that it would be preferable to live on after death as a disembodied spirit and have nothing to do with an actual body. But if you had told them before or after breakfast that there would be a physical resurrection for believers in Jesus, they would have thought it impossible. And we might feel a little bit like that as well. But Paul shows these Christians that we can be sure that there will be a bodily resurrection. Indeed, it is the only logical thing to believe. And we are talking here about a certainty. The reason Paul says that our resurrection is certain is because Jesus 
has been raised from the dead. He talks them through it. He received the gospel from those who'd preached to him. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He fulfilled the promises that God had made through his prophets. He came to this world to save us, to make it possible for us to have a new relationship with God for all the sin and the stuff that gets in the way between us and our Heavenly Father to be forgiven because Jesus died in our place and took the punishment that we deserve. And then on the third day after his death, he rose again and he was seen, Paul tells us, by many people. He appeared to Peter. There's another name, Cephas, in verse 5, but it means Peter. He appeared to James, and he appeared to the apostles. And there's an incident here which we don't find recorded in the Gospels, that Jesus appeared to 500 believers all at once. That must have been the most amazing event. And Paul says that some of them are still around, so anybody can go and ask them about it. And Paul has seen Jesus himself in a vision on the Damascus Road when he encountered the risen Jesus in a powerful and life-changing way. He makes no distinction between this appearance of Jesus and the face-to-face -face encounters which some other believers had with him before the ascension, before he went back into heaven. I caught a glimpse of the late queen three times during my life. Once when I went to the Trooping of the Colour when I was a child. Once when she, when she went to visit Prince Edward while he was at Cambridge. And once from a train as I passed through a place where she was visiting. Of course I saw her as we all did many, many times on the television. But both seeing her in real life and seeing her on the screen were part of the same thing. They proved that she was a real person. They proved that she was going around doing things in the course of her job. Paul has encountered Jesus. He has seen him physically. He has heard him speak. For this reason, like those believers that he's mentioned, he knows that Jesus is alive, that he came back from the dead because he defeated death and it had no more power over him and it has no power over anyone who believes and trusts in him. So we know that Jesus rose from the dead. People saw him. In the days of Paul, you could still find eyewitnesses who could describe meeting him. And all of us who've met him for ourselves know that he's alive. Therefore, says Paul, to say that we do not rise from the dead as Jesus did doesn't make sense. The resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that we will rise as well. Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We've been getting a payment from the government to help us a bit with our energy bills. And I remember wondering, how is that going to happen then? How's that going to work out? And there it was one day, the first instalment, the guarantee, the first fruits, if you like, of the full amount.
Just as Jesus has risen, so will we. Nothing else makes sense. Paul is very clear about it. If, as the Corinthian Christians are saying, the dead are not raised, then Jesus hasn't been raised either. And if he hasn't, then the whole thing is a complete waste of time. We are, of all people in the world, the most to be pitied. Our sins haven't been forgiven, and we have no hope beyond this immediate world in which we live. But praise God, Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's really true. Take hold of this amazing truth, because it makes all the difference in the world. What happened to Jesus will happen to us too. So we're talking about a physical resurrection and a new body. We're going to be raised physically just as Jesus was. The Corinthians have some practical questions about that, just as we possibly have. So in the second part of the passage which was read to us, Paul addresses them. If we are to be raised in bodily form, what will that be like? We have to think, says Paul, about what this new body is going to be doing. Different kinds of bodies, those of fish and animals, are suited to different environments. Our new body will be suited to the environment of heaven. What is our destiny if we believe in Jesus? We're going to be with him forever in his kingdom after the world where we live now is no more. So to live there, we clearly can't have the kind of body that we've got now. This is a body that wears out, a body that has things go wrong with it, a body that deteriorates. And after we die, it will be buried or it will be cremated and it won't be any good at all for living in glory forever. I went earlier in the year to the Tower of London and saw the meadow of flowers which had been planted in the moat as part of the Platinum Jubilee celebrations. I have a packet of seeds from those flowers at home ready to plant them in the spring. And I have absolutely no idea which of those kinds of flowers is going to come up from this packet of general seeds <clears throat> which I have because, of course, you can't tell from the unpromising, dried-up little brown things in the packet what they're going to look like when they come up through the soil. Paul says, you don't put a flower in the ground. You put a seed in the ground, which is nothing like the flower that will be. The body that we have when we're raised is nothing like the remains that we bury. That old body is, says Paul, sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. But calling it a spiritual body doesn't mean that it isn't real. Once again, we remember that Jesus has led the way. He is the first fruits, the guarantee that the same thing will happen to us. His risen body was different, but it was solid and real. 
He ate and drank with his disciples. He tells them, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And yet he appeared in a locked room without coming through the door and he disappeared in one place and then very quickly appeared in another. His body was now a heavenly body. And that is how it will be with us. Our resurrection is not like, for example, the miracles which happened when Lazarus or Jairus' daughter were raised to life. They came back with the same body that they'd had before and they would one day die again. This is something entirely different. Just as we were like Adam, says Paul, in that we were sinful and we were human, so now we're going to be like Jesus, who's given us new life. Paul reminds the Christians in Philippi that those who believe in Jesus are citizens of heaven. He says that when Jesus returns, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. All of this does leave us with a bit of a problem. Paul talks earlier about those who have fallen asleep in Christ. The English word cemetery comes from a Greek word that has to do with sleep. It's a sort of dormitory. So if there's a time lapse between our death and the last day, what happens in between? We talk about those Christians who have died as being with the Lord. So what's happened to them? Seems to me that the problem we've got with this is because we currently live in a dimension regulated by time. We can't imagine anything other than a timeline where one thing happens after another. Because that's all we've ever known. But God doesn't operate in that way. With him, says Peter, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. He is in eternity. There's no time where he is. It is impossible for us to get our heads around that. This is the way I explain it to myself. Imagine that you're going to have an operation. You go into the anaesthetic room, the anaesthetist asks you to count backwards from 10, and then you drift off into a deep sleep, into unconsciousness. The very next thing you hear is the voice of the recovery nurse shaking your shoulder, trying to wake you up. The operation's over. It took no time at all. And, yes, of, and yet, of course, it did. You might have been asleep for hours and all sorts of things might have happened to your body in that time. <laughs> as far as you are concerned, though, that time didn't affect you. You were aware of nothing, from falling asleep to immediately waking up. For those who have died, there is no time between falling asleep and waking up. They are already in eternity. 
So for them, it's as if it's already the last day and they have already got their new bodies. There's no wonder that Paul refers to all of this as a mystery. It's something that our poor old finite earthbound minds can't take in. But we can hold on to the promise and the certainty that we are made for eternity, made for life forever with God, and that we will be raised to life in a form that makes all of this possible. So what does it mean for us now? Paul ends this amazing chapter in which he's discussed what waits for us, our eternal destiny in Jesus Christ, with the words, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He brings it right back down to earth, right back to our lives here and now. We are now in the season of Advent. We're looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus, remembering when he came to earth for the first time. And we also remember that he is coming back again, and we look forward to that. We don't know when it will be. The Bible tells us that even Jesus doesn't know when it will be because only the Father knows. But we do know that every day that passes brings it closer. Paul talks about the mystery of this event, something we can only know about if the Lord has shown us. Everyone and everything will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye as Jesus returns with the sound of a trumpet. We've already seen that those who have died will be raised to life and have new bodies. Believers who are still alive at that time will be changed in the same way. This is an absolute certainty because it is promised in God's word. So we have to live as though we believe it. I remember when I first learned to ride a bike, my dad ran along behind holding onto the saddle and after he'd let go I carried on pedalling and I realised you can balance. If I ride a bike as an adult, I know that I will stay in the saddle and I don't look at this two-wheeled contraption and doubt that it will work. If you ride a bike, you ride as though you believe you will stay on. The amazing truth in this chapter needs to make a difference to what we do every day. In the way we live our lives, in the way we interact with people, in the way that we show that we have the answer to the mystery of life and death. For those who believe in Jesus and trust in him as Lord, death has been defeated. Where's the victory of death? It's non-existent. Death cannot ever have the last word because Jesus has defeated it forever. He died in our place. He rose again. And because of that, we know that we will rise also. Or if he returns before we die, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Either way, we will reign with him forever. So we need to live as though we believe that's true. 
I was on holiday in France when the late Queen died. I was surprised how many people talked to me about how sorry they were and how much they'd admired her. And every day I would watch the BBC online to keep in touch with what was going on. It all served to remind me that I was quite a long way from home. This wasn't where I really belonged. I was looking forward towards the time when I'd be in my own country again. We are looking forward to being in our own country. We know that we will rise and be with Jesus forever. So we need to show the values of that country while we're here. We need to give ourselves fully to whatever God is asking us to do in the light of what waits for us. I talked the other week to a friend who's just been told she's only got a couple of years to live. I don't know what I should focus on now, she said. We, none of us know how long we are here for because we none of us know when Jesus will return. But we do know that we will rise and live with him forever. We can believe that with all our hearts. So what are we going to focus on now? Amen.